Let's play a little guessing game this morning. Name that writer. The author depicted fictional characters navigating their way through difficult childhoods. Often many of these characters were based on the author's own childhood experiences. In early childhood, the family fell into financial trouble and the young child was in and out of school, much like the weather changes in Nova Scotia. And at one point, the father ended up in jail for unpaid debt. And the author ended up being forced to work in an English shoe polish factory at the age of 12. We would call that child labor today. Eventually, the novelist graduated from school with a degree in journalism and began writing such classics as the following, A Tale of Two Cities. Maybe you remember a line from that book. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. A Christmas Carol with a character called Scrooge, Bah Humbug, Great Expectations, Oliver Twist, and so many other great literature pieces. If you guessed Charles Dickens, you selected correctly, and you can have a hot cup of coffee as the winning prize out in the lobby as you leave today. Charles Dickens, you could say, was a rags to riches writer who achieved great fame and wealth in the 19th century. He went from a nobody to a somebody very quickly. And several historians have said that Charles Dickens had a golden touch in his life. Let me ask you a question this morning. It's a personal question. It's a question only you can answer. Would you say that you have a golden touch this morning? Would you say that you have a golden touch? Maybe you already know this, but the term Midas touch comes from Greek mythology where King Midas was granted a wish. He asked for one wish, and he was granted that wish, that whatever he touched would turn to gold. But it became problematic for King Midas because he started touching things and they went to gold, like a glass of water. He could no longer drink because it turned to gold. He went to have something to eat, and it would be turned to gold. He touched the ones he loved, and they would be turned to gold. It was problematic. So forgive me this morning for bursting your bubble if you thought the Midas touch had something to do with a mechanic in an auto repair shop called the Midas. We could assume that Charles Dickens had a Midas touch in the 19th century, in the 19th century literature world. There are many examples that we could use this morning of people who have obtained overnight success relatively quickly, people who we would say they have the golden touch, that it seems that whatever they do and whatever they touch seems to turn to profit and money and gold. Almost every one of us in this room and watching online this morning long for a better life. I have yet to find anybody who does not long for a better life longing to have a life that makes a difference, or longing to be successful in your, in your home and in your career, longing to become an overnight success, maybe even borderline famous. And yet for many of us, the Midas touch is elusive. It leads to a life of discouragement rather than encouragement. It leads to a life of being tired, pursuing more, and never actually getting anywhere, and hopeless where we feel like we're striving for more and is hopeless because we never achieve more. So why is the Midas touch so elusive? Basically, because we're using the wrong metrics to measure things. The Midas touch measures success by numbers and things and dollars. 
The old-time preacher nailed it with this statement when he said this one day, at the end of the day, we do not have a program, plan, platform, or product to help the world. We have a Savior. We do not have uh, we do not point to success, knowledge, pleasure, or power. We point to the cross. We point to the cross. Just because many of us do not fit the category of overnight success does not mean that God doesn't have a tremendous plan for our life. Amen, church? Just because we do not fit the category of overnight success of The golden touch, the Midas touch, does not mean that God does not have a tremendous plan for our life through Jesus Christ. I wholeheartedly believe that God wants us to be successful. Would you not agree with me this morning? But not in a rich or golden or Midas or famous kind of way, but in a way that defies human logic. Success according to God's scale is three things. I want to share them quickly with you this morning. First one is knowing God and His purpose for your life. That's what God's success means. It means that you know God and you know His purpose for your life. He brings you meaning. He brings you purpose. He brings you direction in your life. The the second one that we're going to look at is growing to reach your potential through Jesus. Part of being successful through Jesus Christ means that not only do you know God and His purpose for your life, but you grow to reach your potential through Jesus. That He has a purpose for your life, and He is going to instill some power and authority into your life to achieve that potential. And then finally, I believe that Jesus wants us to sow seeds that benefit others, not just us. In this world that we live in, it says sow seeds to benefit yourself. But according, according to God's economy, we are to sow seeds that benefit who? others, other people. God being our helper, it is success that I've just described to you in three ways that every one of us can achieve. So I want us to seriously consider this question this morning. What if we were designed for a dramatic inward transformation and not for an outward flashy appearance? What if we were designed for an inward transformation and not an outward flashy appearance? I believe this this morning, that God wants to do something in you long before He does something through you. I believe that, that God wants to do something in you long before He does something through you. We are made for more, more than this life offers, more than what the government can give us in a handout, more than fame, more than money, more than numbers, more than the golden touch. So welcome to our five-week series called what? Made for More. Over the next few weeks, we will intentionally explore how God has made each and every one of us in this room for more, how God has made each and every one of us, one of us watching online this morning, made for more. Jesus talked about living a life for more in John 10.10. In the New Living Translation, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose, say this with me church, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In some translations it says, it gives us the word full. In this teaching by Jesus, after naming the enemy as the thief and the robber, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. However, a good shepherd is not a good shepherd just because he calls himself a good shepherd, right? Let me say that again. A good shepherd is not a good shepherd just because he calls himself a good shepherd. 
The first proof of being a good shepherd involves the purpose of the shepherd. What is the purpose the shepherd has for the flock? Is it good or is it bad? Is it to protect and groom and feed? Or is it to starve and abandon and ignore? What is the purpose of the shepherd? Jesus said His purpose for us in John 10.10 is what? To give us fullness of what? Life. Jesus' purpose is to give us fullness of life. What is the purpose of Christ? It is to give us a life that is full, that is more than what we could imagine. The second proof of being a good shepherd concerns the degree of self-sacrifice. What is the shepherd willing to sacrifice? And we see that Jesus was willing to sacrifice quite a bit for us, amen? The good shepherd sacrificed for the flock. He sacrificed his life on the cross. He was nailed to the cross. He experienced death and was resurrected all because of us, because he wants to bring us hope and life in our life. Jesus sacrificed his life to bring life to this world, to give us victory over sin. I am so thankful that Jesus not only demonstrated how we should live, but he gives us life itself. Amen? That Jesus not only demonstrated in His teachings how we should live, but He actually gives us life itself through His death and through His resurrection. It is clear from John 10.10, the great shepherd wants us to be abundantly alive. Amen? I believe that with my whole heart, that the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, wants us to be abundantly alive. He just doesn't want us to survive. He actually wants us to thrive in this life. Because we are made for more. Whether we believe that or not, we are made for more. But so many times we live life like we are made for less. I've seen it over and over again. People who were made for more living like they were made for less. John W. Kennedy in Christianity Today wrote an article not that long ago that he said, statistically, there there is no difference between those who follow Jesus and those who do not follow Jesus. What do you mean statistically? He found that people who follow Jesus and people who did not follow Jesus statistically are similar. There's very little difference in what they give and how they spend their time and their ambitions in life and their desires and a whole bunch of things that he used as parameters to discover that there is very little difference between those who call themselves Christ followers and those who say they are not. That there is statistically little difference between those who go to church and those who do not go to church. I don't know about you, but I find that extremely alarming this morning. That life inside the church is no different than life outside the church. That a follower of Jesus Christ is no different than one who does not follow Jesus Christ. I find that extremely alarming this morning. As a leader, and as a shepherd of a flock of people, I find that extremely alarming. And I honestly believe that one or two things have happened in the church today. Either one... The words of Jesus that he spoke in John 10.10 where we can have life and life to the fullest is not true. Never has been, never will be. Either it's not true or it is. And we are living in the church today and in our Christian lives like it's not true. So are the words of Jesus true or not? Or two, a whole bunch of people are not living the truth that Jesus declares in John 10.10. I don't know what you want to pick this morning. I would much rather rely 
that there's a bunch of people who are not living the truth of 1010 than believing that the words of Jesus are not true this morning. But it's either one of those two. Because there is very little difference between those who say, I follow Jesus, and those who say they don't follow Jesus. Far too many people are suffocating the good news of Jesus Christ, suffocating the message that Jesus wants to give us a full and satisfying life, John 10.10. Paul encouraged the church in Rome to live in the power of a full life in Romans 12. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is what the author writes, the Apostle Paul, reading from the New Living um, translation and so dear brothers and sisters i plead with you say this with me church give your bodies to god because of all he has done for you he goes on to say in verse one let let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will ma- find acceptable this is truly the way to worship him then paul goes on to say in verse two don't copy the behavior and customs of this world Here we are talking about there's very little difference between the church and the world, those who call themselves Christians and those who call themselves not Christians. So he's saying, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let, say this church with me, a God transform you into a new person. It's about what God wants to do inside of you more than he wants to do through you. He wants to change you and transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then he goes on to say this in verse 2. Then you will learn to, say this with me, church, know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. I don't know about you, but that sure sounds like a life that is made for more. That sounds like a life that is made for more. There are these two verses ooze our sermon series title, Made for More. Dr. Dennis Kenlaw, former president of Asbury um, Seminary in Kentucky, would remind his students that the motivations would prompt, which prompt unbelievers to turn to Christ are based largely upon self-interest and gain. Now I'll slow down so that we can grab this concept this morning. That people come to Christ to escape hell to gain eternal life, to put their broken lives back together again, which is all, he writes, which is all motivated with a selfish ambition. I've never looked at it this way before, but he's true. Dr. Kinlaw would substantiate his thought with these words after making that declaration. He would go on to say, after all, as creatures of flesh, the sinful nature, we have no reason to want the grace that God offers other than self-interest. However, Kinlaw suggested, it can be different with the believer whose sinful nature has been crucified and replaced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Such a person is capable of truly a selfless act, an act of spiritual worship, which Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where the believer offers himself or herself to God, not so much for what can be gained, but rather as an expression of pure devotion in view of God's mercy. There is no self-interest there. There is only giving ourselves in view of God's mercy. We are made for more. And so many times we worship God out of self-interest. So many times we pray to God out of what, church? Self-interest. God, 
Save me from the flames of hell. God, save me from the mess I'm in. God, put my broken life back together. All good stuff. Don't misunderstand me. But they are self-serving prayers. When do we come before God and recognizing who God is and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the transformation power of the Holy Spirit in and through us and where we just offer ourselves to God not wanting anything, saying, here I am, God, in view of your mercy, I present to you my life as a living sacrifice. Amen? I'm not going to pull the lever and hope that all things line up so that I hit the jackpot. I'm just here, Jesus, because of your grace and mercy, I offer myself to you. We are made for more. We are redeemed not for ourselves, but for something more. God. We are made to worship God in an unselfish manner. Made for more is possible when we begin with this foundational principle that's on the screen this morning, made for more thanks living. Say that with me, church. Made for more. Paul writes about this life in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read a couple of verses starting at verse 3. Every time I think of you, I say it with me, church, I give thanks to my God. So every time He's thinking about the Christians at Philippi. He's thanking God about them. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. And then he says in verse 5, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And then in verse 6, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. We'll come back to this verse in just a few moments. In completing an initial greeting in verses 1, 2, and 3 um, to the church at Philippi, Paul proceeds to communicate a prayer of thankfulness. It's very clear in these verses that Paul is praying a prayer of thankfulness. And in this prayer that he has, it has a twofold purpose. The first purpose in his prayer is to thank God for his work, for the power of his work. God, thank you that you are at work. Thank you because of the gospel message. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. There is God's working power at work, and Paul is saying, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But then the second purpose of his prayer is to thank God for others. He's thanking God for the powerful work of God, but then he's thanking God for the Christians and the people at Philippi. Paul was thanks living, thanks living because of several foundational truths that I think if we grab a hold of this morning, it will propel us forward into living more for Jesus. And these are two things that I want to share with you quickly this morning. First of all, is that God loves us more than we know. Say that with me, church. God loves me more than I will ever know. I don't know if you believe that or not this morning, but help me, I will help you to understand this. God loves you more than you humanly can understand. He just does. Paul's thankfulness was rooted in this understanding. The apostle knew that God loved him, the apostle Paul, more than he could possibly understand. That's why he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 9, he gives us this insight into his own personal life. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Then he goes on to say in verse 10, but whatever I am now, say this with me, church, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. 
He goes on to finish this verse 10, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet, say with me, church, it was not I, but God, who was working through me by His grace. It was not I, but it was the grace of God working through me that makes me something. Paul recognized that he was made for more. But the more was highly dependent on God and the grace of God and the love of God. We are all made for more, but it is highly dependent on God's grace and God's love for our life. The Apostle Paul was awestruck that God loved him so much that Jesus pursued him until his pivotal conversion on the road to Damascus. He's traveling to persecute some more Christians, and God strikes him with a light and makes him go blind and speaks in an audible voice to him. Paul, or Saul at that time, Saul, why are you doing what? persecuting my church why don't you wake up i have a plan for your life there is something more i have for you than for you to go around the countryside persecuting my church i want to anoint you and bless you and use you and in that moment paul was going man i am so unworthy of the love of god i don't even know i fully understand the love and grace of god Made for more is being thankful that God loves us more than we could ever fully understand. In Ephesians, Paul continues with this thought. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, he goes, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you will trust in him. Your roots will, say it with me, church, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. In verse 18, we find the words, And may you have the power to understand if you have your Bibles, um, a, a paper copy, you should underline that, highlight that, circle that. If you have a digital copy, I think you can still um, highlight it and, and uh, go back to it. The power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. So here, we're just going to stay here for a second in verse 18. So Paul is writing, may God give you the power to understand just how great God's grace and love is, how high it is, how wide it is, how deep it is. He's saying this is obtainable. He's setting us up a little bit because look at the verse, next verse in verse 19. He goes to say, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great for you to what? Fully understand. To understand fully. So he sets us up saying, you know, may you have the power to understand just how great God's love is, how deep it is, how wide it is, it's far reaching, it's, it, it reached me on the road to Damascus, like this is a powerful love and grace that God offers to us, but it is still too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the, say that with me church, the fullness of life made for more, the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Verse 20, Paul goes on to say, now all glory to God, amen, who is able, thank you Jesus, through his mighty power at work within us, to say this with me church, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, God loves you more than you will ever know. Jesus is writing to New Hope this morning, I love you more than you'll ever fully understand. But may you have the power 
to grasp what you can, to understand what is there that you can understand, to propel you to live more for me. I'm extremely thankful that God loves me more than I could ever comprehend. Amen, church? If you are arrogant as enough to think that you know the love of God this morning, may you repent of pride. Because God's love is so, so beyond our comprehension. But that doesn't discourage me. And it shouldn't discourage you from trying at least to know and understand just how much God loves us. Amen? Just because Paul is saying, and just because God is saying, you can't fully understand it, doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to pursue to know some of God's love, right? To grasp a, a little piece of the pie so that we can understand and fully appreciate the love of God and what God has for us and in our life. In 2007, world-renowned uh, Josh Bell, who plays the violin, struck a baseball cap on his head and he went to um, busk at Washington DC Metro Station so he was only going to do it for a few hours it was a little thing that he had that he wanted to do so he put his ball cap on took his violin he began to play in Metro Center in Washington DC some some of the classical pieces that he would play in concert where people would actually pay thousands of dollars for a ticket to see him play at some of the great concert halls around the world he's doing it for free at Metro Center, Washington, D.C., playing the piano, or excuse me, playing the violin and playing all kinds of the classicals that he would do in concert, in a concert hall. He put his case out and he collected a sum total of $52.17 while he played the violin. Seven people stopped. Only seven people stopped to listen to him play for any length of time. Here's what the experiment clearly demonstrated. How the greatest gifts often go unnoticed. Here's probably by argument's sake the greatest violin player of all time playing classical pieces and only seven people actually recognized who he was. Maybe. Some of the greatest gifts go unnoticed even when they are right there in front of us. God's grace is not unobtainable. God's grace is right there in front of us. The love of God is not unobtainable. It is right there. It's for us to obtain. It's for us to apply to our life. It's to take the love of God into our life, to obtain the will and the grace of God for our life. Even though we may not fully understand it, it's there for us to have in our life. Amen? The greatest gift ever was that God loves you and me more than, we'll ever, more than we will ever understand. Live, thankfully, means to live in the love of God and in the grace of God. Second, Paul was um, thanks living because of this one right here. God, was more, uh, God has more for us than we can grasp. Say that with me. God has more for me than what I can grasp. God's desire is to have, God's desire is for us to have more, more than we can humanly grasp in our life. Let's go back to verse six for a second in Philippians chapter one. And I am certain that, excuse me, that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished 
on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So Paul is saying, he who began a good work in you will continue this good work in you. You will become made for more as you're going along in life until it is finished on the day when Christ returns. Paul suggests, or Paul is suggesting, that God has more for us than we could possibly grasp. That we won't fully understand until we actually see Jesus face to face. But instead of grasping for God, we grasp for stuff that is less than what God wants for our life. Have you ever noticed that? Here's what God wants for us. Here's what we end up settling for. Let me explain with this Old Testament story. Obviously, you may know David, King David from the Old Testament. David was known for many, many things. He was known to battle Goliath as a teenager and actually win. He was known to transform, be transformed from a shepherd boy who killed a lion and a bear to a great and mighty warrior that, that the people of Israel said, we haven't seen a warrior like this in a very, very long time, if maybe ever. He becomes the king of Israel after hiding out in the hills for a while from Saul. He, he writes a portion of the book of Psalms. He was a man after God's own heart. The only Bible character we have that has that definition behind his name, a man after God's own heart. He has an affair with Bathsheba, who's a married woman. Whoops. I had to throw that one in, didn't I? Shortly after the affair with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet shows up and he lights up King David's life by exposing not one sin, but multiple sins that the king had committed. And we pick up the conversation between David and the prophet Nathan in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. So the prophet Nathan had used a, a story to describe something um, to David, and David wanted to you know, pay back, make that man pay then the story, and, and the prophet said, actually, it's you, David. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Then in verse 8, I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah and if that had not been enough, here's God speaking through the prophet to David. If that had not been enough, say it with me, church, I would have given you much, much more. It would have been okay if God had just said more. It would have been okay maybe if God had just said much more. But God said what? Much much more why then he says in verse 9 why then have you despised the word of the lord and done this horrible deed for you have murdered uriah the hittite with the sword of the ammonites and stolen his wife i would have given you i would have given you much much more i don't know about you but that kind of sticks right in the heart doesn't it can I just say I'm so thankful that God is always faithful even when we are not? I am thankful. I need to say this before we move on. I'm thankful that God is faithful to us even when we are not. David, fettled, David settled for something that was far less than what God was willing to give him. And yet God was faithful to David. David settled for... Bathsheba, at this point, God said, I would have given you, what? Much, much more. 
Jeremiah the prophet knew the value of this truth when he declared in Jeremiah 29 and 11, he said, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Say this with me, church. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. He is speaking about Israel coming back out of exile and he's saying, I have plans for you and they are good plans. There's not disaster. It's to give you a future and a hope. God has plans that we cannot even begin to grasp yet for our life. So don't settle for something that's less than what God has planned for your life. But here's what happened. We, be, we become impatient. We have a weak moment. We look out over the rooftop. We see something that we want. And in that moment, we settle for something less than what God wants for our life. When God's saying, I would have given you much, much more, but you settled I encourage you this morning to trust God even when you can't understand what God is up to, when you can't even begin to grasp what God is doing in your life. Don't settle. Trust God because God has a plan for you. He has made you for more. Amen? More than you can even grasp. How many times have we wrapped our fingers around stuff? Fame, money, relationships, you name it this morning, and it was far less than what God was willing to give us. In that respect, in that respect, I guess we're not too different than David, are we? That we were wrapping our fingers around something that was, is far less than what God has intended for us. The famous hymn writer didn't fully understand what God had planned for his life when he began to write the words, "'Tis grace that has brought me safe thus far." Say it with me, and grace will lead me home. Amazing grace. When John Newton penned Amazing Grace, he did so out of personal experience in his life. But his, the greatest test came the day that he buried his own wife. Mary, he loved Mary so much that he would often say, I hope she precedes me in death because it would break my heart if she was to go before me. But his prayer was never answered. One day, Mary Newton passed away and John Newton found the strength somehow during that week that she passed away to preach a sermon on Sunday morning to the church. The next day, he visited church members and later that week, he officiated over his own wife's funeral. He grieved, but his grief was found in God's provision. He later wrote this, The Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss as mine, but the Lord... The all-sufficient God speaks, and it is done. Let those who know Him and trust Him be of good courage. What a statement by the hymn writer. The Bank of England could never compensate. Only God can take care of me and look after me. Only God has a plan for me and knows that there is so much more to my life. John Newton had a hope that was larger than we could ever imagine. John Newton had a hope that was deeper than the deepest ocean. John Newton had a hope that had no limits. He was thankful because he knew that he was made for more. The Hebrew word for hope, do you know what it is? The Hebrew word for hope is rope. Think about that for a moment. Rope, hope is rope. Imagine a divine rope stretching towards your future that is connected to you. 
we have the privilege to hold on to this rope this morning as it guides us towards a better future with Jesus. Be thankful because God has made you for more, more than you don't even understand or can grasp at this moment in time, but you are connected to the rope of hope that is pulling you forward to a future that is blessed with Christ. Be thankful because God has made you for more. Amen? In first Philippians, or excuse me, Philippians chapter one, Paul's prayer had a twofold purpose. He was thankful because God was at work. Oh, he maybe didn't fully understand how God was at work, but he knew God was at work. And he trusted God. And he was thankful for others. In this time that we live in, we need to understand that God is at work. Amen that he has made us for more, that we are to be different, that we are to present our lives as a living sacrifice, pleasing, as Paul writes in Romans 12, pleasing to God, thankful for others in our life, not using other people, but helping other people. I want you to find some time this week, and I'm not talking just five minutes, on the outline that you have before you this morning, if you didn't pick one up on your way in, pick one up on your way out. There's the application part. Here it is. It's just right in black and white for you. I want you to find a few hours this week where you can get alone and pray with God. And there are three parts to your prayer. Acknowledge first that God has made you for more. You are not made for less. You're actually made for more. And then ask God to show you how you have been made for more. And then accept that God loves you more than you could understand and has more for you than you could ever expect. And put your trust in Him because He has made you for more. God wants to do something in you more than He wants to do something through you. Will you let him be at work in your life this week? Because you are made for more. I am made for more. And those who are listening online this morning are made for more. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we thank you for your hope. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we admit at times we think we know your love and at times we think we know your grace and your hope. But truthfully, we do not. Oh, my prayer is the prayer of Paul in Ephesians. May we know how wide and deep, how great the love of God is. But even at that, we still wouldn't fully understand. Lord, just give us a glimpse of your great love this morning. Give us a glimpse of your grace this morning. Give us a glimpse of your plan for our life that we are made for more. Help us not to settle for less. As the prophet said to David, I would have given you much, much more. We are connected to this eternal rope of hope that pulls us forward. And as we move forward, we discover that we are indeed made for more. Loving God, 
and loving each other. As your spirit is at work this morning, we pray that we would yield ourselves to you, that we would surrender and put our trust in you, even when we don't fully understand. Help us to continue to strive to understand just how great you are and how you've designed us for more. Not more of a golden touch, but to be a famous person but made for more in your kingdom and here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here in our service this morning and need prayer, there are people who are willing to pray with you. Just need you to come up front and stand, and those individuals will find you. If you're watching online this morning, there is a text, prayer text number. Make sure you text that number with your prayer requests or the struggles that you're having today. May God bless you.